Welcome to the Hoffmantown Church Podcast. We hope you enjoyed this week's message from Hoffmantown Church. We've been kind of on a journey. God owns everything, amen? Oh my goodness. That was really weak. <laughs> God owns everything, amen? <laughs> Praise the Lord for that, right? I mean, that made me worry. I thought, wow, did the offering plates get sent out already yet or what? Come on. <laughs> uh, you know, when we begin to recognize that the Lord is the Lord of all, we begin to realize that it's a privilege to give. It's a privilege not just to give financially, the treasures and all that, kind of, but our lives, our hearts. Because that's really what this is all about. First and foremost, we begin to understand that God is in control. God owns it all. We've looked at that several, in several different ways. God's creation, he's the Lord. His character, his heart is a giving heart. When we yield to the Lord and we begin to be transformed by the Lord, when we begin uh, to walk with the Lord in his grace and in his truth, then giving becomes a fruit. Giving becomes a natural result. Uh, others and their problems come first. We're willing to lay our lives down because that's what the Lord did for us, and he begins to shape us and mold us, and that's what he does by grace. It's not because we wake up one day and say, look what I'm going to do for God. It's because we recognize what we're not, and we recognize the greatness of who he is. And then in and through us, he begins to metamorphosize us. He begins to transform us so that through us, in our attitudes and our actions, his life begins to be revealed. When we, when we get attached to the things of this world, we are clearly not walking by the Spirit. When we begin to walk by the Spirit, there's no way that we can be attached to the things of this world because the Lord will lead us and guide us in that and we begin to recognize that he does own everything and that his heart is to give. And he showed that through the gift of his son, of his own life, so that we might have life, and not just any kind of life, everlasting life. The body of Christ, the community of grace, the, the church is a community of giving people, people who love to give. I'll never forget sitting at Spiros' table years ago. Joan Zodiades is still alive in Chattanooga. Spiros, I studied with him. We always joked around. I've said this a thousand times. It never gets old. I know a little Greek, and his name is Spiros, you know. He's up with the Lord in heaven, and Dad and he are probably figuring out all the different things, and it's great. They're sitting at the feet of the Apostle Paul with the Lord, and it would be really fun to, to listen to that. One day we'll have that opportunity. But I remember sitting at the table with them, and they always were so gracious to open their home to me to be able to study, and I, I sometimes didn't really want to go. You know, sometimes you don't want to study. Sometimes you don't want to go and be told what you don't know. Isn't that really true? And I, and I had to wrestle with that. I had to say, oh, Lord, I know that I need to get into your word. And so I would go, and, and I'd have to bow and say, Lord, thank you for this opportunity. I'm so grateful. And there was never a time, honest truth, that I didn't come out of their home saying, oh, my goodness, I can't believe I didn't know that. Thank God for his word. And we were sitting there the one time, and they were so gracious. And Brother Spiros looked at me, and he said, a believer always has something to share. Always has something to share. And that's convicted me over the years. Because how many times do we look at what we have and say, well, no, I got to have this. I must keep this for myself. And the truth is that when God begins to convict and when God begins to convince and when we begin to walk with the Lord, 
everything we have, we look at as his, and the opportunity becomes very clear that when God begins to lead us, we have always something to share, something to give. When we talk about investing, investing, what is it, the first time in history the Dow Jones hit over 20,000? How many of you knew that? Come on, seriously, right? See, that's right. And uh, I knew you knew that. I just, I know you. And so it's kind of cool to watch that thing, and you kind of look at it, and some days it's red, and then, you know, I get around people, and they're glum. Oh, it's a terrible day, terrible day. And then it goes green, and everybody's, yes, yes, yes. My 401, whatever. I think I said something wrong the other day. I don't even, 401k it should be. I think I was saying something. I don't remember what I said, but praise God. We tend to look at our investments, and we look at them from an eternal perspective, don't we? How are we looking at investments with an eternal perspective rather than a temporal one? How are we looking at things from what it is that's ahead of us eternally rather than right here? Because I got to tell you, I think one of the great traps of the blessings that God has blessed America with is this whole idea of materialism. And the idea that we fall into this rut where we think that A, we deserve it, B, we've earned it, C, it's all for us, D, we've got to hoard it. The truth of the matter is when God blesses us, he does so in order for us to bless others so that he can bless us more so that we can then bless others even more. How are we investing in eternity What kind of giving are we actually doing that has an eternal return? That's an interesting question, isn't it? What lasts forever? (laughs) Isn't that interesting? What lasts forever? Ecclesiastes chapter 2, verse 11. The writer says this, Thus I considered all my activities which my hands had done and the labor which I had exerted. And behold, all was vanity and striving after wind, and there was no profit under the sun. All my activity was vanity. It's gone. Striving after the wind. Or in Ecclesiastes 5.10, he says, He who loves money will not be satisfied with money, nor he who loves abundance with its income. This too is vanity. So whether it's activity that is temporal in nature, it's for now, and it's the building up of wealth in a way that brings comfort to me and brings joy in some kind of an odd, twisted way, or whether it's the financial aspect of it itself and the love of money, it's all vanity because it won't last. can't take it with you. As believers, we ought to be investing in Eternity. That ought to be our mindset. It's not wrong to make money. I told you this before. I hope you make a whole lot of it and then give it. Praise God. And that way we we can see how God would use it in order to build up the kingdom. But when we talk about investing, we ought to be talking about and have the mindset of investing in eternity. I love Jim Elliott's statement. If you've never heard this, Jim Elliott, look him up died uh, going and taking the gospel into a remote area 
He was killed by some tribal people. He says he is no fool who gives up what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. Don't you love that? He is no fool who gives up what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. An investment in eternity will bear eternal returns, eternal fruit in that sense. All believers ought to be investing in eternity. Let me give you five ways of how we can invest in eternity. First of all, there's our personal walk with Christ, our personal relationship with the Lord, our personal walk with Christ. Secondly, there's our possessions. How uh, are we coming to the Lord and saying, Lord, it all belongs to you, and we're not building our kingdom here, but rather we're using whatever it is that God has given to us in order to invest into the kingdom and invest eternally. Thirdly, our partnership in the gospel, and literally our partnership with other people in the gospel. How are we partnering in order to see the gospel of Jesus Christ proclaimed? Fourthly, people. How are we investing in people? What's our investment into one another? What's our investment into our neighbors? What's our investment into our communities? What's our investment into people that God allows to bring uh, into our lives and on our paths and our journeys? How are we investing? How do we view that waitress, that waiter? How do we view those people that we run into supposedly accidentally? How do we invest into them? At that moment, do we have a mindset to do that? And lastly, our potential reward. Our potential reward. So first, our personal walk with Christ, our garment. This is not a selfish issue. This is not a, I'm going to focus on me. This is a reality check as to the fact that by God's grace alone can I be transformed. This is a reality check that anything good that comes out of any one of us is ultimately a work of God in us and then through us. And so in order for any of this to take place, we've got to have a right relationship with the Lord. Amen? We've got to walk in such a way that we're not just doing this because it's a a plan or a program that we've come up with. We don't have just some kind of checklist that we create every morning and then approve ourselves for how spiritual we are. This is a personal relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ who desires to transform us, who's working to conform us into his very image so that not only in our attitudes and our actions, but everything through us, there is the divine spark and recognition that this is of God. This is divine. This cannot be explained by human reasoning. We didn't get a degree that we can hang on the wall for this one but rather this is what God is able to do in and through our lives. In Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2, this is such an important passage because he says, Therefore I urge you, brethren, by the mercies of God, because of everything that he's just written, Romans chapter 1 through 11, this great explanation of our salvation. Because of the mercies, by the mercies of God, present your bodies a living and holy sacrifice acceptable to God, which is your spiritual service. It's the most reasonable thing of worship. 
And then he says, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed. Don't be pressed into the mold of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind so that you may prove what the will of God is, that which is good and acceptable and perfect. See, anything that is good that comes out of us is because God is doing a work in us, and we are yielding to him in the midst of it. And that's grace, folks. Legalism is when we create a checklist and think we can actually keep it. Legalism is when we even take commands in Scripture in the New Testament and say, oh, yeah, oh, thanks, God, I'll take care of this for you. That's legalism. Legalism is death. It's death. Because when we place ourselves back up under any spiritual law at all whatsoever, that's Romans 6, When we place ourselves back up under the Mosaic law and all those good things or any other spiritual law and think that somehow in and of our own strength we can accomplish that, folks, that's called death. Because why was the law given? It was to expose what we're not and to help remind us of our need of Christ. So when we begin to walk in such a way that that we think we can accomplish this, we can do this, friend, we need to have our minds renewed. The way that takes place is through the Word of God, through the Holy Spirit using the Word of God in order to transform us, to renew our minds so that we begin to think His thoughts and we begin to walk in the reality of what He's already declared us to be. He says, don't be pressed into the mold of this world. What does the world want to do? They want to get all they can. They want to begin to take it and and put it into a, a place where they can protect it and guard it and watch over it, and nobody else can touch it. And in God's economy, you give it, you give it, and you give it to the point where it's hilarious, cheerful. It all starts with our walk with the Lord. In Romans chapter 13, we talk about our our garments. We talk about how are we walking in such a way that God is transforming us and renewing us from the inside out, not from the outside in. That's behavior modification. We've we've turned discipleship and classes into behavior modification. I got a problem? Go to a class. You have a problem with with money? Go take crown. Hey, take crown. But if you don't have the right heart in it, and if you don't understand that it's God in you that's going to transform you by his grace, friend, crown may actually be detrimental to you because you think pridefully, in a proud way, that somehow you're able to do this. I don't mean to step on toes. I love crown. In Romans chapter 13, verse 14, he says, Put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh in regard to its lusts. You catch that? Put on who? What? Put on the Lord Jesus Christ. Don't make any provision for the lust of the flesh. Don't give any provision with regard to your old man, which is what in Ephesians chapter 4, Paul writes. Verses 22 and following, he says, In reference to your former manner of life. You lay aside the old self, which is being corrupted in accordance with the lusts of deceit, that you be renewed in the spirit of your mind and put on, what? The new self, which in the likeness of God has been created in righteousness and holiness of the truth. I would suggest to you what Paul's simply saying in Ephesians is what he said 
in Romans. Put on the Lord Jesus Christ. Don't make provision for the lust of the flesh. Put off the old man. Put off that which is old. Put off that which is dead. And put on life. Put on the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, how do you do that? Because <laughs> we could turn anything into a work, can't we? Boy, we could turn everything into a work. The reality is what we need to do is respond to the Holy Spirit within us at the particular moment when the Holy Spirit makes clear that rather than walking in the power of God and the power of the Spirit of God in the Lord Jesus Christ himself, we are walking according to the flesh and the deeds of the flesh are obvious. And what do we do? I gotta take this off. I'm gonna put this over here. There's my old garment, and I'm going to come over here, and I'm going to grab the new garment, and I'm going to put it on. Is that how we do this? No, I would suggest what we do is we recognize through the power of the Holy Spirit when we're walking according to the flesh, and we run to the Lord Jesus Christ, and we say, Lord, I need you. I need your strength. I need your help. And what does he do? He then takes this thing off. And what does he do? He clothes me with his own garment, himself. Think about that. I didn't have another jacket, sorry. <laughs> Ephesians 6, 11, he says, finally be strong in the Lord and the strength of his might. Put on the full armor of God. I love this because in Pauline vernacular, what he's literally saying is Jesus Christ is our armor. He is our armor. It's not just piecemeal. Oh, I forgot my helmet at home. I got to run back. I got the sword. Yeah, I got the back. Uh, shoes. Yep, yep. Where's my helmet? No, no, no. When you surrender the Lord Jesus Christ, you're either walking according to the flesh or you're walking according to Christ. You're either clothed in the old man or you are clothed in Christ. You're either walking according to your own strength or you're being strong in the strength of his might. That's the reality. Put on the full armor of God. In Revelation 3, 4, there's a beautiful promise given. He says, you have a few people in Sardis who have not soiled their garments. They will walk with me in white, for they are worthy. Wow. <laughs> How are we being transformed right now in the way that we're walking? We can talk about giving all day long. We can talk about all the activity that we should be doing, all that kind of stuff. Amen? But the truth of the matter starts right here. Starts in our minds, starts in our hearts, starts in our belief systems. How is God transforming us? How is he renewing us? How are we saying yes to him so that we can put aside the old man, the old flesh, the old ways of doing things, the behaviors that are not in accordance with God's righteousness? And how are we then being clothed in the righteousness of Christ, Christ himself who is our righteousness, so that in the midst of all of our lives, we begin to exhibit or demonstrate the reality of the truth of who God is. So when we talk about investing in eternal things, I think one of the amazing things is, how's our garment look? Because there's a garment being prepared. In Revelation, he tells them, they will walk with me in white. That word white can be translated brightness. Brightness. How are we going to walk in such a way in heaven that we reflect the glory of God, the inward work that God is doing right now that we're saying yes to him will be exhibited one day when we get to heaven so that all can say, not all look at Eric, 
But oh my goodness, look at what God has done in Eric. See, that's the issue. How are we walking in that way? <laughs> our personal walk with Christ, our garment, are we keeping them clean? Are we allowing them to get polluted and stained by the things of this world? Are we saying yes to the Lord? Are we simply dying to self and acknowledging him? Well, secondly, our positions, our possessions. How do we invest in eternal things? Grace giving. We looked at this a little bit last week, but just to remind, it's according to God's leading. It's according to his empowering. Matthew 6, 19 through 21, don't store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy, where thieves break in and steal. Store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys, where thieves don't break in or steal. For where your treasure is there, your heart will be also. Is our treasure here on this earth or is it in heaven? What's the deal? What are we living for? How are we investing to have an eternal return? What is it that we're doing? How is it that we are working and serving and yielding to the Lord in the midst of it all so that we are simply acknowledging that our treasure is in heaven, it's not here on this earth? 2 Corinthians, I think this is the principle for giving in the New Testament, chapter 9, verses 7 through 8. Each one, that's individually, each one must do just as he has purposed in his heart, not grudgingly or under compulsion, for God loves a what? Cheerful giver, a hilarious giver, one who's not attached to the things of this world, sees the need as God allows the, the recognition of that need and is immediately willing to follow the Lord because God's got a giving heart to say yes to the Lord and to give and to give and to give. So here it is, Lord. It's under you first and then Use it for your glory and for your honor to meet whatever need, to invest into that person, to invest in eternity. We're free to follow Christ, folks. I love this. We are free to follow Christ. The question is, are we doing that? Are we walking with the Lord and the joy of our salvation? Or are we walking with the Lord and what he wants to do in our lives? Or are we putting things into a box where we think somehow that we're the ones that are able to do this instead of experiencing the liberating life of Christ himself? And in the midst of that, saying yes to him. What are we attached to? How are we absolutely enslaved by our stuff? Boy. Thirdly, our partnership with Others in the gospel. Proverbs 11.30 is such a, a great verse. The fruit of the righteous is a tree of life. And he who is wise wins what? Souls. Boy, that's convicting, isn't it? How are we yielding to the Lord daily, every moment, saying, Lord, whoever I come in contact with that doesn't know you, I pray, Lord, that you would lead and guide me in the work that you're already doing. Give me the words, give me the strength, the willingness to proclaim the gospel, and as one said it, and if necessary, to use words. And sometimes it is necessary. Sometimes we're scared to death to use words because of all this political uh, correctness nonsense, right? Worried about offending. Well, the gospel does offend. It's a stumbling block. And there's times where God clearly is leading and giving us the opportunity, and in his power and in his grace, 
which he has for us, there's an opportunity to be unequivocal that salvation is in no other name but the name of Christ. Amen. Say it. Speak it. (laughs) But in the midst of it, let's make sure our conduct, make sure our lives reflect the glory of God and his transforming work that he alone is able to accomplish within us. Let's make sure we're not just some religious Pharisees. And the only way for that to take place, friends, is to submit to Christ. Amen? To walk with the Lord, that his joy, his love, and his goodness may be seen in and through us. There's no hooks involved. It's because we love somebody because God has placed his love in our hearts for them. Matthew 28, you know this well. The Great Commission, all authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go therefore as you're going is the technical way of reading that. And here's the command. Make disciples of all the nations, all the ethnic groups, all the peoples in that sense, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. What a beautiful picture. Discipleship's the banner. Share with them how to get saved, and then share with them all that God has taught for the believer as to what it means to walk with them. Baptize them and teach them. Folks, that's what discipleship is in that sense. How are we following the Lord in this great command? How are we saying, Lord, here's our our lives. Use us in whatever way you choose so that you would be honored, that you would be glorified. I love what Paul says about himself in 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verses 19 and following. He's the apostle. He went to all these places where the gospel had never been proclaimed. And in the midst of his letter to the Corinthian believers, he says, though I'm a free man or I'm free from all men, I've made myself a slave to all. Listen to his heartbeat in this, so that I may win more. What is he talking about? He's talking about the lost. He says, to the Jews I became as a Jew so that I might win Jews. To those who are under the law as under the law, though not being myself under the law, meaning he's under grace, so that I might win those who are under the law. Do you catch this? He said, even to those who are still bound in legalism, I put aside my freedoms in grace and become like they are so that I can share with them the gospel, the truth of what Christ is able to accomplish. He goes on, he says, to those who are without law, meaning the Gentiles, as without law, though not being without the law of God, but under the law of Christ. He doesn't mean I'm going to go do whatever it is they're doing and I'm going to be lawless. What he's saying is I don't have to put myself under all these religious restrictions. I'm, I'm under freedom. I'm under grace. Let's put it this way. I can eat pork and it's okay. Because the Gentiles are eating pork, and I don't have to be under that dietary restriction anymore. And I can go and share with them Christ, because I've eliminated a hurdle that doesn't need to be there. I love this. He says, to the weak I became weak, that I might win the weak. I've become all things to all men, so that I may be all By all means, save some. I do all things for the sake of the gospel so that I may become a fellow partaker. And here's where I would differ from this translation in the New American Standard. It's not of it speaking back to the gospel. It's of them speaking of the people that he has just been talking about, writing about. 
partakers with them in the gospel. They've come to know Christ, and now they're growing in Christ, and now we're fellow partakers in this great commission of proclaiming the gospel. Colossians chapter 1, verses 28 and 29, uh, he talks about how, how it is not just that we're trying to share Christ with people who don't know the Lord and see them get saved, but now we want them to grow. We want them uh, to mature. He says, we proclaim him admonishing every man and teaching every man with all wisdom so that we may present every man complete in Christ. And for this purpose also I labor, striving according to his power, which mightily works within me. Paul's saying, I agonize over this. I want them to grow in Christ. I want them to be complete in Christ. I don't want to just leave them at this baby moment. I want them to grow to maturity. Yes, milk is good for time, but let's get on to maturity into the meat of the word of God and let's become mature believers who are learning to walk with God in such a way that we hear the Holy Spirit through the word of God directing our path and then we're willing to say yes to him no matter what the circumstance may be. But we're able to discern, as the writer of Hebrews puts it, what's, what's really of my flesh versus what's really of God. Maturity. How are we walking in this great community? How are we investing eternally when it comes to the kingdom of God? When I was in Israel, one of the great moments is going to uh, the Holocaust Museum. And I, I say great moments in a very humble way. Uh, it, it's unspeakable. It's indescribable. Outside... They've got this area where they've designated specific trees to Gentiles who over the years have been recognized as those who have helped the Jewish people. Right? Corey Tenboom is one of them. Oscar Schindler is one of them. And I, I've in listening to what Oscar Schindler had to say at the end of his life, after doing so much, risking his own life in order to save some of these Jews from the ovens and the horrors of Nazi Germany. Oscar Schindler says this. He, he, these are quotes out of the movie. He says, I could have got more. I could have got more. He's speaking of the people. He said, I don't know. If I just, I could have got more. Itzhak Stern is talking with him and says, Oscar, there are 1,100 people who are alive because of you. Look at them. And Oscar says, if I had made more money, I threw away so much money. He, he laughs at that point. He gets teary-eyed. He says, you have no idea if I just. And Itzhak says to him, there will be generations because of you. Oscar says, I didn't do enough. Itzhak says, you did so much. And then Oscar turns and he says, this car Goth would have bought this car. Why did I keep the car? Ten people right there. Ten people. Ten more people. This pen. Two people. This is gold. Two people. He would have given me two more. At least one. One more person. A person stern for this. And he starts to cry. I could have got one more person and I didn't. Oh. That's powerful, isn't it? I mean, how are we walking around in such a way 
that we lose sight of eternity. We get so caught up in the temporal and we forget that we are to be about the Great Commission. We are be, to be about following God in the midst of the work that he's already accomplishing all around us and our lives are his. People need the Lord. People need the Lord. People are, in so many ways, our eternal investment. In Philippians chapter 4, verse 1, Paul, in writing to the believers of Philippi, says, Therefore, my beloved brethren, whom I long to see, listen, my joy and crown. In this way, stand firm in the Lord, my beloved. My joy, my crown. What's he talking about? He's talking about these people being what he's able to offer to the Lord. As the Roman dignitaries would come into a city, people would make wreaths, and they would throw these wreaths at the feet of the Roman dignitaries. And Paul's using that illustration in effect about these people, and he's saying, you are my crown. You're the ones that in effect I get to throw at the feet of Christ to offer to him praise and adoration. In 1 Thessalonians 2, 19 and 20, he says this as well. He says, who's our hope or joy or crown of exaltation? Is it not even you in the presence of our Lord Jesus that is coming for you are our glory and joy? And again, the same, same picture being given to the Thessalonian believers. You are our crown that we want to throw at the feet of Christ to honor him and to praise him for all that he has done. What a beautiful truth. People are our eternal investment. Paul not only wanted to see people come to know Christ, he wanted to see them grow in their walk with the Lord. And he says, this I labor to see them complete in Christ. How are we laboring? What's our focus if we become so temporally minded that we're no eternal good? Have we forgotten what this is all about? Why we come even here to be encouraged and strengthened in Christ so that we can grow in Christ, not for ourselves, not to hoard it to ourselves, but rather that in Christ we say, yes, Lord, yes, Lord. And no matter where we go and no matter what we're doing, no matter who we're around, it's all about following the Lord. And if it really is all about following the Lord, then friend, if God puts an unbeliever in your path, there's going to be an immediate recognition of that from the Spirit of God. And there should be an immediate, Lord, here I am, use me. And we walk with what God wants to do in the midst of that circumstance. If it's believers, then how are we helping encourage one another, stimulating one another to good works, to be reminded that God is in control, that God is sovereign, that we serve the Lord and not to grow weary in doing good, but rather to afresh say, Lord, here's my life. And to present it, and to present it, and to present it, and to present it. No matter what the circumstance may be. Well, what about our potential reward? What about the Bema seat of Christ? Is it selfish to say that we want to live in such a way as... We want to be able to receive the reward that God has for us, wants to bless us with. I think not. Paul certainly didn't think that. 
In Mark chapter 9, verse 41, it says, Whoever gives you a cup of water to drink because of your name as followers of Christ, truly I say to you, he will not lose his reward. You mean I can suffer loss? Not the loss of eternal life, but I can suffer the loss of eternal reward in heaven? Yes. That, friend, ought to wake us up. 1 Corinthians chapter 3 makes it pretty clear. Verses 10 and following, he says, According to the grace of God, this is Paul. He doesn't say according to my strength and according to what I can do for God. He says according to the grace of God which was given to me, Christ in me. Like a wise master builder, I laid a foundation and another is building on it. Where does wisdom come from? James makes it pretty clear, doesn't he? Paul didn't wake up one day and say, oh, I got such a great plan for you, God. (laughs) He says according to the grace of God which was given to me, according to this wisdom which comes from God, which Paul certainly recognized he didn't have and that he needed from the Lord. He says, I laid a foundation, another is building on it. Each man must be careful how he builds on it, for no man can lay a foundation other than the one which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. So the foundation's secure, it's, it's accomplished, it's in Christ. Then he goes on, he says, if any man builds on the foundation with gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, straw, each man's work will become evident for the day will show it because it is to be revealed with fire and the fire itself will test the quality of each man's work. If any man's work which he has built on it remains, he will receive a reward. Praise God. What an amazing truth. You mean all the times that nobody else knew that I was saying yes to Christ in the midst of my life, God knows. You got it. And the Lord has reward for it. I call it faith works. It's not the stuff I've come up with in order to to try to please God and do something for him. It's how I'm walking with him in the midst of the life that he's given me and the circumstances that have been filtered through his hands and my response to him in the midst of those circumstances. It is the faith works that he's planned for me before the foundation of the earth. How am I yielding to him in the midst of it? That's the question. Verse 15, he says, If any man's work is burned up, he will suffer loss. But he himself will be saved, yet so as through fire. In other words, when you come to a saving knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ, friend, that is a promise from God. It's a done deal. That foundation is secure. The question is, are we being like Paul? Are we wise master builders following God in what he has for us? Are we walking by faith? Are we persuaded that what God has for us is good and it's sufficient? He himself has come to live within us in order to do through us what he has never expected us to be able to do. But we get invited into this journey with him. And when we say yes to him, There's something precious about that that will remain. And when the work is tested by that fire, it will be revealed for what it really actually is, of God or not. How are we investing in eternity? Where are our treasures? Are we so consumed by this world that we have forgotten that we've been called out or the church to walk with God, that our garment should not be polluted by the things of this world, but that Christ desires for us to walk in white, reflecting his goodness and his glory in all that we do, and one day will be revealed. How are we investing into people? 
How are we investing into the proclamation of the gospel of God's grace, not only here in our own Jerusalem, but all the way to the othermost? How are we doing that? Are we caught up in the things of this world? Or are we caught up in Christ, where he's our focus? He balances us. He gives us wisdom and understanding of when we're walking by the flesh and the old garment or when we truly are walking by his spirit and his love is being produced through us. He knows when that takes place and he will guide us and direct us and convict us as necessary. He'll even chastise us because we're his children and he loves us too much to let us go away that he knows is not in our benefit. People, people. How are we investing with the Lord in people? And what are we looking forward to when it comes to a reward? <laughs> I don't know about you, but when that fire gets lit up, I have to just simply kneel at that moment in my own mind and say, Lord, my life is yours. Only you can accomplish what will remain forever. Help me to walk with you to say yes to you, to weigh the cost of the temporal versus the eternal. How are we doing that? I want to encourage you in something. Many of you give amazingly. I'll tell you, I, I love you. I, I think, I, I can't wait to see what God does in and through this body of believers. It's amazing. It's amazing. I wish sometimes you could sit in my chair, so to speak, and look at all the different ways in which God is using Hoffmantown and the body of Christ, not only right here in our Jerusalem, but all through the world. It's incredible. And doors are opening over and over again in ways that it's obvious that the Lord's at work, and it's obvious that God is inviting us to join him in specific things and in specific ways, and it's awesome to begin to contemplate what God's going to do in this. So be encouraged. And thank you. Don't grow weary in doing good. Don't get attached to the things of this world. It's not worth it. <laughs> Don't measure spiritual maturity by the things of this world. It's not worth it. When God does things, it's eternal, and only he can measure them. Let's all, as a people, continue to say, yes, Lord, yes, Lord, yes, Lord. No matter what the cost may be, no matter what our fear may be, knowing that in Christ, he'll give us the grace necessary to follow him as he invites us to join him. Thanks for listening to the Hoffmantown Church Podcast. 